From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 279. Today's show is brought to you by DoorDash, Squarespace, Booz Allen, and KiwiCo. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very good. No mystery drama, no award nope. ceremony. We're back uh-huh. to regular old Upgrade today. Yeah, there, a lot happened while we were doing off-format episodes, so we have a lot to talk about. I have many, many, many things that I want to talk to you about today, yeah. but we start off Upgrade as we start off every episode of Upgrade with a hashtag Snell Talk question, and Phil wants to know, do either of you use an electric toothbrush? <laughs> yes. I feel like you got to these. I mean, I you know, I, I use an electric toothbrush. I use like a Philips one. Um, yep. The Sonicare something, something, something. They've changed it a bunch, but like, it's good. I have it's the good. Braun Oral-B, but yes, it is, and I have for ages, and uh, you, you should probably use an electric toothbrush. They're better. They're more, they're better at their jobs. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm like an animal, as John Syracuse would say, when I use a non-electric toothbrush now. Yeah. I, I travel without, you know, it's, it's, I don't have a travel electric toothbrush or something like that, and, uh, and uh, it does feel really weird and feels very nice to return to the electric toothbrush. Oh, mine comes in like a little box and like a little carrying thing, which also has a charging port in it, which I like. Um, so you can plug in like a mini USB cable or something into the toothbrush case and it charges the toothbrush, which is nice. Yeah. It's the Philips one. They have a bunch of them. You can find it. Like, it's great. Um, but I one of the things that I like about using an electric toothbrush is it will keep going until it should be time for me to stop you know mm-hmm. right like i don't have to think how long have i been brushing my teeth for it will do it for the amount of time that it's supposed to do it so i like that uh, if you would like to send in a question to open an episode of upgrade just send out a tweet with the hashtag snell talk and it may be included for a future episode because we have not done a regular show for a couple of weeks there is no follow-up today but what i do have for you jason is a lot a lot of upstream stuff that i want to talk all to right you. so I wanted to just state for the record that I was very, very happy with the way that both the morning show and For All Mankind ended. I I was really pleased with the ending of both of those shows from a, like a show quality standpoint. I've heard mixed feelings from people about the ending of the morning show, but I really liked it. Like I think that the last like fifteen to thirty minutes of the final episode really gave like a satisfying ending that made me want more of the show. So I am genuinely very much looking forward to uh, both of those shows coming back. Like For All Mankind was the best uh, Apple show that I've seen so far. Um, It was kind of incredible, quite dark at the end, but still very, very, very good. Yeah. I I love the end of that show. That was a, uh, that was a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I think it's interesting too. So Apple did this weekly release schedule and we spent a couple years questioning how they were going to do a release and they 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 are doing both. They are doing some drop two or three episodes and then release weekly and they're also dropping some as complete seasons. Yep. And, and I've been thinking this fall as we've had a real and now winter the the bounty of of good TV that's been out there with Watchmen um, the Mandalorian, the For All Mankind Morning Show, these other Apple TV shows. That what I've noticed is that first off, a lot of shows are being discussed week to week, like in in the old days, where you really can like obsess about what happened in this episode and wonder what's going to happen next. And I I just I've said it before, I, I but I want to say it again because I think this is a perfect moment to illustrate this. Um. 
I think binge dropping a show is a mistake for most kinds of shows. If you're a streaming service, I think Netflix does it mostly because they have so much content that they don't want to promote a show week to week. So they want to do a single launch like it's a movie and then they want to walk away to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't, don't think it serves the material for people to have it. There are spoiler issues so that some people will spoil it for everyone. Other people will not say anything for fear of spoiling it. It's very hard if you are a TV critic or a recapper or a podcaster or whatever to deal with these shows that drop 10 episodes at once. And so you maybe you don't at all, or maybe you do it week by week, but it's kind of like your audience is all over the place because some of them have seen it uh, to that point and, and, and are going back and some of them haven't seen it yet. And it, it's just, I, it, it's one of those things where I get why it's done. I also get why people like binging TV shows. But again, my argument here is once it's rolled out, you can binge it. Like dropping it in a, in a in a bunch with ten episodes, versus letting it roll out over ten weeks or eight weeks. You know, the Apple TV stuff was mostly in eight weeks uh, because they dropped three um, and and week one. I, I think that works really well, and then it's all there for you if you want to watch it all at once. So yeah, I think binge uh, mentality though it also ties in with being impatient. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I, I think there is, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's great power in, in making you wait and that I think, I just think it's a mistake. I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the conversation online about a show that's ongoing is not only really fulfilling as a viewer, but I think is a way to build word of mouth about a show. And I think like, if Baby Yoda, <laughs> would Baby Yoda have been a thing if they had just dropped every episode of The Mandalorian? Maybe, but I think it would have been a thing that bl- blew itself out um, a lot faster mm-hmm. because there wasn't this chance for the conversation to kind of like continue as Everyone there was more was of at it the every same week. Place everyone discovered Baby Yoda exactly. at the same time. Only if you're in the United States of flipping America, yeah, of course, or the Netherlands or <laughs> Canada, mm-hmm. but not the UK. Anyway, so my Still point better. my point here is I like that um, that Apple is doing this hybrid model where they're giving you kind of like a big a big kickstart and then they're yep. rolling out more episodes later. I think that some of these, as much as I like getting to the penultimate episode of a season on on, on Netflix or Amazon and being able to just plow right straight into the finale because of the narrative momentum, I do love that moment. I find that that's when I watch two in a row mm-hmm. is the last two episodes because yeah. I get to the next to last episode and I'm like, oh, I don't want to wait. I'm going to keep going. But I just finished watching The Expanse, which dropped in December. And the other point I'll make here is it felt less necessary for me to watch it and i still haven't finished all of uh, mrs mazel um it felt less necessary to watch it because it was all there and i could get to it whenever whereas when the mandalorian dropped or when for all mankind dropped and on sunday nights when watchmen dropped on hbo i was there because i wanted to see the next episode and some of these binge shows it's like they're not going anywhere so they're not as much of a priority there mm-hmm. because I will get to them eventually. So I think that works against them too. So if you like binging TV shows, I don't have a problem with it. I get it. I just don't think that that's the rollout strategy that is right for a lot of a lot of stuff, especially scripted, dramatic, uh, you know, with with cliffhangers and you want to have conversation about what's going on. I think those work better with a, a little bit of scarcity. That's all. So I will say, like, to build on your point, like, for myself, 
I think that this type of of rollout, like the give us a couple of episodes so you can have a mini binge and then you go week to week, is really good for thoughtful drama shows because then you have the time to kind of for it to sit with you and you think about it. But like lighthearted comedies, just binge the whole thing. Like sure. that's, that's my feeling on it. There's also a TV critic thing where where um that I think Apple is smart with, although ironically, you know, they didn't get a lot of love from the TV critics. But one of the problems that TV critics note is the pilot episode, the first episode, is often a setup episode to introduce you to characters. And, you know, this is for logical reasons, but like the pilot episode is never representative of the series as a whole because it's the introduction episode. And what you really want to see to judge a show as a viewer or a critic is what does the show look like when it's up and running? What is every episode of the show going to feel like? And episode one never does that. So I think it's smart for Apple to say, we're going to drop three. Because then, yes, if you want to really dig down deep into it um, and episode one whets your appetite, well, try number two. And if episode one, you're like, man, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've recorded, I've set up like a season pass uh, for a TV show on traditional TV and watched episode one and like never gotten to episode two because it's like not, it's fine. Maybe I'll get back to it. And then I never get back to it. And I think there's something to be said for having episode two queued up. So if you're unsure about episode one, you can just roll into episode two and see if, if uh, it continues to work for you. And I think that's a good like way to sell your series. Not one episode. Exactly. Which means you get a better sense of what the show actually will be week to week. So you know, I don't know. There, there's no right answer here, but uh, what I guess what I'm saying is, I think there's a right answer, which is what Apple is doing, which is uh, so, and what Disney is doing. Um, roll, roll some of your drama stuff out week to week. I think it's better. I know why Netflix doesn't do it, but I, um, I don't think it's as good. Uh, so there were no Golden Globe wins for Apple. No, nope. Tim Cook was there though. He Tim was. Cook got a nice plate of a vegan uh, entree and some wine to sit there next to Jennifer Aniston. And uh, my understanding from reading reports is that Ricky Gervais roasted him, right? Like, I have no time for Ricky Gervais anymore. Like, I just yeah, can't. Uh, but whatever. Like, you know, to each their own. It's just not my style. Uh, in my opinion, the morning show was the wrong choice for the Golden Globes anyway. It should have been for all mankind. Um, I don't know what the process is to have a show nominated for a Golden Globe. Like, if it's chosen by a committee or if, like, the studio puts it up, right? I don't know the way it's done. But I feel like it's all a it's all a sham. Is how it's this done. is what I'd assumed that like it's a the Hollywood pays Foreign Press Association money? And, and, no, it's no? it's not quite that, but okay. it's not a it's not a real thing. Yeah, it's, but yeah. my my feeling is like that maybe Apple had some hand in like what goes up or, or whatever. But like you know, um, you put it up for contention, or it's put up for contention in some way, and I could see why you would have put the morning show here because it feels like it is playing to the people within the bubble, right? But I think that For All Mankind had a better story, better payoff, and better uh, acting performances across the board Hmm. than The Morning Show did. Even though The Morning Show, I still still thought it was very good, I think the parts that Apple actually had nominations for with The Morning Show, they had better options with For All Mankind. Like, you could have picked literally anyone to win the best supporting or best actor role from For All Mankind, like in my opinion. Because mm. the performances of all of the cast, st- nobody faltered. Every single one of them was fantastic. So, yeah, that's my feeling on it. So, 
But anyway, they didn't win, which is a shame for them. It would have been really good if they could have brought one home, but they didn't. That's fine. They'll they'll, they'll survive. They'll cry into their money. They'll survive, but it would have been, you know, I'm just saying that Apple would have really loved it, right? Like, it would have been very good for them to to come away with a Golden Globe. We won an award, not very prestigious award. (laughs) Yeah, I guarantee, though, that they didn't win because of who they are, right? Like, it just wasn't going to happen for them this time. Like, Hollywood's not behind them. All right, but we have some information about some new shows coming because it's a bit of a quiet time for Apple TV Plus right now, but it's about to kick off in February. So Apple TV Plus will be getting a five-part documentary series exploring the LGBTQ movement in television. Uh, This is coming in February. It's produced by Wanda Sykes, among others, and the show will investigate the importance of TV as an intimate medium that has shaped the American conscience and how the LGBTQ movement movement has shaped television. Obviously, that's a quote from press releases. All five episodes will debut on Valentine's Day. They're going to feature voiceovers and interviews from people like Ellen DeGeneres, Anderson Cooper, Rachel Maddow, and more. Um, This show is one of the very few, I think, is in a very rare club of shows that have been first announced via an Apple press release. Most other stuff was leaked out, right, because they're mm-hmm. much longer lead times and stuff like that. But a documentary series, also, you can keep yeah, it's quiet. A, it's a doc, so there's no set and yeah. there's no. Yeah, it's it's a different and just of, less uh, excitement, supply chain, right? I yeah, expect for sure overall. Uh, but it does come from the very fun URL Apple TV Plus Press Apple dot com, which is a oh, fun, great. just like a fun little website that Apple built, which is uh-huh. just like it's a it's a specific newsroom just for press releases of Apple TV+. Plus, I think this Neat. is also where you can log in and get, uh, if you are a member of the media, I think, and get uh, screeners and stuff. I think I've seen this. I don't know. Now. Maybe. Rob McElhenney's comedy series is going to be debuting on February 7th. This is the show that focuses on a video game studio, which I believe Activision is involved with, which is, like, super weird. It's um, It's... Uh, yeah, U- Ubisoft. Ubisoft, that's the one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, is, it is. So it's Rob McElhenney and Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And it, the series is produced by Lionsgate. Okay, right. Three Arts Entertainment. All right, mm-hmm. makes sense. And Ubisoft. Because it Super is a, a video, it's about a video game studio and they're produced. It's fascinating to me. Uh, February 7th. And they're, and they're binge check. Here it is. Yep. It's a sitcom. It's a it's a uh, nine half hour episode comedy, and they are dropping all nine episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I also remember that Charlie Day was involved in this. He's not anymore. He's not listed as. Uh, oh, yeah, it's actually from him, but he's, he was originally going to be an, in it, but is not in it anymore, I think. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, that's so how he's I remember a producer it. credit. Yeah, producer or at credit. least it was the case of when it was announced, people assumed. Right, like because it was just mm. like from McElhenney and Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny, right? And you just assumed they would both be in the show, but Charlie Day is not in the show. Rob McElhenney is in the show. I think he plays like right. the lead character in the show. Uh, he is yeah, the creative the director of the fictional company. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm actually really excited for this because I'm super keen to see what this show is going to end up being from an outside and inside part. Right, like I'm interested because I like Rob McElhenney. But also, like, this one seems so weird with the Ubisoft involvement that, like, I can't imagine them being actually focusing on the real issues that exist within video game development. Like, I can't even imagine them touching on it. It does seem unlikely that this will become a Silicon Valley-style brutal satire of the game industry 
if a game company is producing it. But then you look at Rob McElhenney, and that is right. his bag to do that type of show, which is why these two things seem so like out of well, whack of each other. So I'm, I'm maybe interested. The, yeah, what what is the nature of that Ubisoft uh, producer relationship? And is it that they're a consultant and they generate some of the... I don't know. It's fascinating. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm interested. It's I don't know if I said the name. Project. The show is called Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet, which I, I love that name because it sounds like a ridiculous video game. So, like, the name is very funny to me. And and I'm wondering if like there is some going to be some kind of like fictional world within this world. Like um, I'm 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 keen to see this one. This is the next Apple TV show that I will be checking out immediately. I think that's that's kind of where I am with that one. I'm excited for this one because I like the people that yep. are involved. The rumor became true. Ex HBO boss Richard Plepler will make content exclusively for Apple TV Plus in a five year deal between Apple and Plepler's company, Eden Productions. It will encompass television series, documentaries, and movies. Um, I think that this could end up being, well, I'm not alone in this, a very big deal for Apple in becoming like a key player in the streaming wars. Like it feels like so far their goal has been quality over quantity, and this could bring good quality. So who is Richard Plepler? He ran HBO for a long time and is the guy from HBO who stood up on stage at an Apple event and talked about how they were bringing HBO now, I want to say, their over-the-top version to Apple TV, the to the Apple TV platform. So he has some somebody who had a relationship with Apple um, when AT&T took over uh, HBO and Warner Media. Um, he left... And uh, there's a big New York Times article about him. He talks of he clearly has signed a non-disparagement agreement with AT&T as part of his severance or departure because uh, they ask him about it a lot, and he basically declines to say anything other than you know a new company or new a new we had a new owner, and it felt like a time the right time to leave, um, which is is funny. <laughs> uh, I kind of kind of been there, <laughs> so I get it. And and what's interesting is that like apparently, um, Eddie Q like called him up after he left HBO and was like, "Could we get you know into business with you?" So this and, is one of those things. Yeah. Where, like I've had this. We spoke about this and connected a long time ago about the idea of like people always think that Eddie Q's useless and should be fired and is pointless. Eddie Q's not pointless. Like Eddie Q brings home deals like i we have yeah. seen this time and time again that he is like mentioned in this and from reading the the new york times article it genuinely feels like without q this would not have been done like this was the deal it, it, it's possible but clearly that was the personal connection and yeah. i do think that that is the thing that eddie q has turned out to be best at is mm -hmm. that he he is a schmoozer and he has personal connections and this clearly he had some sort of personal collection connection with Richard Plepler. Um, then they get him in touch with, uh, you know, uh, Zach and Jamie who are running Apple TV plus. And uh, basically this seems it's interesting because it seems to be that what Richard Plepler didn't want to do is be inside a giant corporation where he could get sold off or replaced or whatever, like what happened at HBO yep. that he wanted to have a little more control over what he does. So he wanted to set up a production company and use whatever, uh, you know, talent that he, he put together and skill that he put together in building, um, modern HBO. Uh, but he didn't want to do it where he was completely boxed in. Uh, what's interesting is it sounds like, you know, this is a five year deal. So like Apple, 
unclear how exclusive it is or if it's first look or if there's a certain amount. There's lots of different ways this could go. But instead of him being hired by Apple, his company has basically been hired by Apple to produce premium HBO style content, which is totally, I mean, this is Apple's game, right? Apple is playing the HBO game, which is funny because HBO is not playing it anymore. Um, the, you know, they're going more broad for HBO Max. Uh, but Apple TV is going to have a smaller number of shows and they want them to be perceived as high quality and prestige. Uh, and that is what Plepler's HBO did. So, you know, they're going to be a supplier. And from Zach and Jamie's perspective, it's like, you know, who knows what it's like behind the scenes or if they're like, is he kind of verging in on our territory here or is it more like great you know they're gonna provide more content for us but i think overall for apple um it's a it's another stake in the ground about how they want to be hbo and so apple's adding stuff other companies are losing stuff uh we knew this was going to happen it's now happened now the years ticked over friends is currently unavailable to stream anywhere in the u.s it's left netflix and will be coming to hbo max sometime later on this year and there was a report from a few places, I have one site from Polygon, that there are some movies that are disappearing from Disney Plus already, including Home Alone, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and Doctor Doolittle. This is because of some like crazy licensing agreements, is what people have worked it out, and from what sources are saying, Disney are not commenting on this yet. And it's also likely this could happen in the future. There are some reports suggesting that movies like Black Panther could end up back at Netflix in 2026 because yeah, of there's some an additional weird window. Mm-hmm. There's an additional window that they have um, later on. Mm-hmm. So we knew mm-hmm. the streaming wars were going to cause complexities, and it's already happening. But it's a surprising thing for Disney Plus. Like it hasn't been around very long, and some movies are disappearing and home alone is particularly funny because they are developing a new home alone for Disney plus. So it would be weird if the movies aren't there, right? That like they're creating a new home alone, but the old home alone, they're gone. And the funny thing is they're gone, but nowhere else. Like they're not showing up. No one's found where home alone lives right now, but it's not on Disney plus. Yeah. It's uh, going to happen for a while too, Mm -hmm. right? Because these are, these are contracts that were signed in the last decade that are still playing out before when the the strategy changed, but these contracts are still there. So it's going to be a little weird for a little while. This is also why you create originals, right? This is ultimately, this is why you have to create originals. It's why Netflix spends billions on creating originals and has spent tens of billions in the last decade to create original material that they have complete control over because that stuff will never leave netflix right Mm -hmm. that's why they do that and that's why everybody is doing that because these these other things movies and catalog shows and all of that are all just kind of licenses and um they 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 can come and go and we're in this really weird period now where they are they're kind of coming and going and you know the office will be the same way right the office is going to vanish and uh at some point and go to peacock which they launched nbc actually launched peacock uh, as a social media presence yesterday during, uh, and this is, I'm not making this up, during a football game between the Eagles and the Seahawks because they thought a bird-themed event would be hilarious for the launch of the Peacock social media presence. So. I'm not going to lie, Jason. If I was the head of marketing for Peacock, this is what I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that tells you something. Like if that's hey, what Mike would have done. You know, Let's do it. I don't know if it's the right move yep. for you, but there you go. 
All right, today's show is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. You can get a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Squarespace is super customizable to let you build any type of website that you're looking to make. If you want to make an online store or a portfolio or a blog, it doesn't matter because they have all of the tools that you're going to want. You could maybe build even a website for a group or like a local community thing. Maybe you've got a big event coming up and you want a website for it. Like this Squarespace is perfect for wedding websites. It is the all-in-one platform that will let you build whatever type of website you're looking for. Without having to install or patch or upgrade anything, they take care of all of that stuff. They have you covered and they back it up with 24-7 customer support. I love Squarespace. I use Squarespace still to this day and have used them for like a decade now. They are my go-to place for when I want to put something online because it's so simple, it's so easy. You can try it out for yourself right now. Just go to squarespace.com upgrade and there's a free trial waiting right there for you with no credit card needed. You can build your entire website with and this trial to tinker around with anything you want and then when you want to launch that website to the world you sign up for one of their plans that start at just $12 a month when you decide to sign up for a Squarespace plan just use the offer code upgrade and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show once again that's squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code and the promo code upgrade to get 10% off your first purchase our thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace make your next move make your next website so we heard about a while back the Bridge Pro, which is the uh, keyboard for iPad, which makes your iPad look like a MacBook Pro, like a laptop. It's like a, it's like a, a clamshell design kind of thing. But the Bridge Pro was coming. Uh, we heard about this first from like a lawsuit that Bridge had with another company yeah, uh, because the, about their hinge design. Um, but there's no point focusing on that for now. They have officially unveiled their iPad Pro keyboard, including a trackpad. Um, it is going to be taking advantage of the assistive touch accessibility feature included in iOS 13. The product is called the Bridge Pro Plus. It's available to ship starting February. Uh, the 11-inch model costs $200. The 12.9-inch model costs $230. Pre-orders begin on Tuesday, January 7th at 11 a.m. Pacific. Jason, you've had one of these, right? You've you got a prototype unit? Yeah, I had one. It's actually before that other uh, keyboard. People are like, "Oh, they're angry because this other company got to them got to the market of a keyboard and trackpad combo unit first. It's like, well, first off, Bridge had a uh, Surface keyboard and trackpad mm-hmm. a long time ago because Microsoft Surface is basically a PC. Um, but I was testing a prototype of this before that other company announced their product. So yeah. Bridge has been working on this a long time. Um, and part of the challenge is, like we talked about with iOS 13, what exactly is supported in iOS? Because this is an accessibility feature called assistive touch that will let you use an external pointing device. And, um, we, you know, over the summer, we're like, is, it, is this going to get any better? And it got a little bit better, but not a lot better. And it's definitely a virtual finger that is there for accessibility purposes. And you can use it, but it's not... It's definitely not what I had hoped for. And for me, the number one thing is that even though there is a a text editing cursor in iOS that you can control, you know, on the iPad, you put two fingers down on the keyboard and you can move around a text editing cursor. That's not connected at all to assistive touch. And for me, that was going to be the big benefit of adding an external pointing device was being able to edit text. And Apple just didn't provide that. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been disappointing to me having this. It's just not, uh, it's great that that feature exists, but it is not as functional as I 
as I had hoped. And we don't really know what Apple's plans are. Apple could say, solved it, <laughs> right? Done. done, we're done, good. Uh, or they could say, wow, this could be a lot better. This is, there are a lot of people out there who want to use these pointing devices and we need to do a better job and we'll wire in the text editing cursor and we'll change how we're doing it. And uh, we'll, we'll, if it's connected, we could wire it into Safari so we could support mouse over events and things like that. And it's like, there's a lot of things they could do, but are they going to do any of them at all? So I get this thing from from Bridge while iOS is still, I think, in beta even. Um, and I had it for a week. And what I learned was I was very excited to get it because it's like, yes, keyboard. I wanted this keyboard with trackpad. So now like my iPad can be a full on like laptop, mo- laptop mode device when I want it to be. And then I pull it out and then it's back to being a tablet. Um, and what I learned was in a context of a MacBook, you really do expect the trackpad to be of MacBook trackpad quality and Apple's trackpads are real good. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they're really good. And uh, this isn't, <laughs> that's the bottom line. It's fine. But like in that context where you expect it to suddenly you're like, I'm using a laptop and now I'm going to reach down to the trackpad and I'm going to do something. And it's like, uh, no, like the gestures aren't really there and the scrolling isn't very good. And what you're capable of clicking on in iOS, uh, you know, it, with this virtual finger is not as good as what you really want. You end up kind of doing this click and push in order to try to scroll some things. It's just not, it's just not great. It's got its moments for sure. But, um, you know, the issue here is that it's not it's not as good as what it feels like it should be because it feels like you're using a MacBook and you're not. Mm-hmm. And the OS is the reason. It's not the hardware. It's the OS. It's just not made to be used with a trackpad like this. Plus, by the way, there's no trackpad support is my understanding in iOS. It's it's a mouse that's, that's supported. So trackpads have to emulate a mouse, which is, I think, very common on the PC side, too. But Apple's Magic Trackpad, this is why Apple's Magic Trackpad basically doesn't work on iPads, because it's it's a special pointing device. It's a trackpad. It's got a totally different kind of set of characteristics. And as a result, you know, Bridge is doing their work to emulate a, a mouse on top of trackpad gestures, but it's not as good. It's not as good. That's wild, though, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I can't get my head around that properly yet. That they built a trackpad that works like a mouse, not a trackpad. Like, do you know what that actually my means? Un- my understanding is that this is at, this is at not uncommon on in terms of like trackpads that aren't like the Magic Trackpad that are okay. like lower quality external PC trackpads. Is you, you know, you move the finger and it says, okay, that's the mouse moving up. Just like it translates that into a mouse movement set of data mm-hmm. and pushes that to the computer. And so the end result is you move your finger up, the cursor moves up. You're like, all right, that's 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 it. But what's really happening is that and not like I got a multi-touch trackpad and I'm going to do four finger gesture here and I'm going to do like it's not that sophisticated. Um, and my understanding in talking to p- people at Bridge is that's the challenge here, is that Apple didn't implement, you know, if iOS implemented the trackpad, whatever, software that is on the Mac on iOS as part of assistive touch, then you, presumably you could pair a, a magic trackpad with it and it would work really well and that Bridge could do something like that too. But um, you can't. You, It's just 
Bluetooth mouse, basically, that you get. So it's got some limitations there, too. Bottom line is, it's a really neat piece of hardware, and I think maybe for some people it will be exactly what they want but i think i want to just be in i want to strike a note of caution because i feel like this is a product that is not for most people Mm -hmm. that most people will probably be frustrated by it because ios isn't there yet and i am always reluctant to tell anyone to buy a piece of hardware hoping that the software will improve later because guess what most of the time the software doesn't improve later in the way that you want it to so to buy this now and say but i'm sure for ios 14 it'll get better like are you are you sure? Yeah, don't don't be so sure. Don't count on it. So I don't know. It's yeah. a really interesting product, and I think the reason that that Bridge has been so careful, and they they, they know that there's an audience for this, and they want to bring it out, but at the same time, I do get the the real sense that they're concerned that this is the kind of product that could be oversold, um, and that people would get will be disappointed when they see how assistive touch works. Because we we know we've been talking about it for the last few months, but like if you don't know, and you're like, oh, now they've got a uh, an iPad with a trackpad, that'll be great. And then you get it and you say, oh, it's not great. It's weird. And that's not a great experience. Yeah, I feel like you should only buy this if you've tried the current assistive touch feature and For you're sure. okay with it. Like, Yeah, get a Bluetooth yeah. get a Bluetooth mouse and try it out and see what or all the issues mouse. are. mouse. Like you can, you know, any, yeah, sure. any mouse will work. Just try it out. You, I'm... I'm very sure that many people have access to one of those, right? Like a mouse with some subscription in their home. You might need a dongle uh, if it's not USB-C. <laughs> I, I had to buy one, but yeah, uh, sure. And, and give it a go. Uh, Bridge have actually also made a standalone trackpad for iPadOS now because they did all the work. So they now sell just a trackpad if you want that. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about this a little bit because I am personally very excited about this because I use pointer mode, the cursor mode in iOS 13, basically every single day. So I am very excited for this product because what I do now, if I'm sitting down to do any amount of work, I want to have an ergonomically sound environment for me if I'm going to be using my iPad. So I use my clear look stand and I use either my bridge keyboard or another keyboard. I have a WASD mechanical keyboard that I like or also coupled with a Logitech MX Master mouse. This is what I'm using right now. Mouse is by Bluetooth. Then I plug the keyboard in via USB-C. I'm ready to go. And then I get like a great setup. The clear look stand has the iPad at eye height. I have a desk, which is all set up correctly. I have my chair, which is set up correctly. So I'm able to work with the operating system that I want to use that suits me better with ergonomics in mind. So now I also want a trackpad on my bridge keyboard for the times when I'm in laptop mode rather than desktop mode because I'm getting very used to using an iPad of a cursor. And I know, look, okay, if you are opening Twitter right now to tell me to use a Mac, close it because I do not care about that response, right? Like, I'm not even going to bother getting into it right now, right? (laughs) Yeah, I have a Mac. I'm talking into it right now. Typically when I'm, no, do you know what? When I'm using my iPad, in that mode, I'm at a second desk I have in my office. My Mac is behind me, right? Like, I could get to it if I want to. I don't want to. Uh, I'm I'm actually still planning on, like, working out a permanent station in my office. Like, I want to have a monitor, a keyboard, a mouse, and a, like, and a hub that works all of it together um, so I can just, like, plug one cable into the iPad and it's always ready to go. 
Um, I am taking recommendations from anybody if they can recommend good monitors for iPads and good hubs. Like, I want to know if anybody's using these. Um, I know that John Voorhees has done some stuff with this. Federico's done some stuff with this on Mac Stories. But I just want recommendations from people if they're working in this way. Um, but I, I really like it. Like, it lets me use the apps that I use in a way that I'm familiar. I think that the the cursor mode is way better implemented than I would have expected it to be based on being somebody who's used Apple Pencil for so long for interacting with UI because Apple Pencil could never um, operate any of the kind of operating system layer stuff. So you couldn't you pull down notifications. You couldn't adjust anything in split view. None of that can be done with the Apple Pencil but you can do it with the cursor. So you can like, basically you are manip- you are like mimicking a finger, which I know can be frustrating in places, but gives me way more uh, functionality available than I can just using the Apple Pencil to use the UI. So then you also have, you know, the, the MX Master has a couple of buttons on it and you can program what those buttons do, right? So like, yeah, I really like it. It's working great for me. And it gives me more flexibility when it comes to using iOS because then I can also just pop that screen right out of that system and take it with me and I'm good to go, right? Like, and then it's my iPad again. But other than that, it is like a, uh, it is a focused work device, right? Which is how I'm using it for the rest of the time. So I am very happy with the situation, like just the whole like setup that I've got right now, but I want to, I'm keen to see what it would be like to use uh, this device like a laptop, like an actual laptop with a trackpad. I'm, I'm keen to see what that ends up looking like. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I, I might be more interested in the standalone trackpad just because mm-hmm. I could position that next to my keyboard when I'm working on the iPad in, yep. in a stand and um, and use that instead of the weird you know, Bluetooth mouse, because I, basically I don't like mice, so I'd rather not. And th- I might use that more. Um, I might not. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, but yeah, this has potential, and I think if you've used it in that mode like you have, you understand its strengths and weaknesses. Yep. But it, it's great. Uh, there are a lot of speculation about this, too, uh, con- when this got announced, a lot of conversations about it. The question is, like, what will it take for Apple to make this mode on iOS more, and really on iPad OS, better? And, you know, one argument is they won't because just never bet against Apple considering something that they just worked on done and leaving it on the side of the road for a few years. That happens a lot. So I think that's actually the most likely scenario is that nothing will happen. They could make it better as an accessibility feature. They could decide to make it a more mainstream feature and wire it into more stuff. And that would be great. I am deciding to hold out positive hope for this that like... The, the amount of people and the amount of buzz that there has been about this feature could lead to it becoming a thing, but that is just be. my own hope. So here's here's the, the, what I'm getting at is oftentimes what drives the software side is the hardware side. So one, when and we're going to get to this uh, in our next segment when we talk about my predictions for 2020 because I wrote a bunch of articles about what I think is going to happen in 2020 or what I hope is going to happen. That delightful combination of uh, prognostication and wish casting that happens mm-hmm. this time of year. Um, but one of the things that I think is, what are they going to do with the iPad Pro? Like, how do you how do you do an update? Is it just going to be, oh well, the processor's faster and there's this, you know, depth camera 
housing thing on the back that's like the one that's going to be in the iPhone this fall. And that's the that's the rumor. It's like, okay, like, all right. But the last time it was, this is as powerful as a laptop and we've got USB-C and now we're serious. And I thought, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to see a dramatically different iPad Pro because it's the second uh, revision of this version of the iPad Pro. But I did have this thought just in the back of my head, which is, what about accessories? What about more pro accessories? What if there's a new smart keyboard? And one thing that could drive, whether it's in addition to the existing one or, or they just take the existing one away and replace it with a new one, but what if they could do a pro smart keyboard that had the function row? Maybe at some point, you know, it, it could actually have like a magic keyboard set of keys on it. It would be heavier, I'll grant you, but it would be nicer keys. And the big one is, what if it also had a pointing device? That would drive, they would have to make um, the cursor support way better if they did that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they will, but I'm saying, part of me feels like the only way we're going to get really good cursor support in iOS is if Apple has a product that uses it. Otherwise, it's going to kind of be off on the side. So I think you got to pin your hopes on having some sort of a, an Apple pointing device accessory and smart keyboard with a with either a trackpad or with that thing that they that they patented where you just move your fingers over the keys and it's like a trackpad like i would i might take that if i could put two fingers down like i do on my software keyboard and i could actually use it on the smart keyboard to move a cursor around that would be interesting so i don't know it it, it is it, i do think that though sometimes that for this quantum leap in terms of the quality of this feature you almost need apple to say uh, you have to make this feature internally because we're building hardware that uses it. Fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Today's episode is also brought to you by KiwiCo. If you have kids, you know how great it is when you find something for them to do that's actually educational as well as being fun. But coming up with ideas and planning out these projects can take a lot of time. And if you're a parent, you're probably very busy. Well, KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for children to make learning about STEAM, that's science, technology, engineering, art, and math, not just hot water, makes those really fun to do. It's designed by experts, tested by kids, and there's no need to research or worry about gathering all of the supplies because they send you these kits that have them all. There are eight lines to choose from for all ages, from babies to teenagers and more, and each month the kid in your life receives a new, fun, and engaging project with all of the supplies that they need to challenge themselves creatively the crate comes with everything you need all the supplies for that month's project detailed easy to follow instructions for children and an educational magazine i built one of these uh, over the weekend of a little one in my family and i had an absolutely fantastic time <laughs> i really loved it we built like this grabber and then these little aliens made out of wool it was really simple to do i loved the instructions and everything was broken down in a really clever way so we had like the 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 kiwi one of the kids which is for some younger people um and i think it's like around the age five year group that kind of thing and what i really liked was instead of just instructions they give you these boards that were guides that you would lay the pieces over the top of so it made it really easy as the like the person reading the instructions out 
to make it and come across in a way that was easy to follow. I, I was really very impressed. KiwiCo is a convenient, affordable way to encourage your children to be anything they want to be. There's no commitment and you can cancel at any time. Their monthly options start at $16.95 a month, including shipping. So go to kiwico.com slash upgrade. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash upgrade to get your first month for free. That is kiwico.com slash upgrade. Every day counts when it comes to making a difference. So don't miss out on that opportunity. I'll spell it out once more. K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash upgrade upgrade and get your first month for free our thanks to kiwico for their support of this show and relay fm so predicting apple in 2020 uh, there's mm. a series of articles that you wrote but you started out with grading your 2019 predictions <laughs> i just want to give a rundown of some it's of these fair. so uh you were correct that the mac pro was expensive and modular but there was only one display option you'd hoped like many that there would be more than one um yeah it still doesn't make sense display. to me Maybe mm-hmm. still 2020, we'll see. Uh, there was some laptop satisfaction in 2019. Uh, you got some, but you were hoping for more. So the 16-inch yep. MacBook Pro exists, but that was kind of it. Uh, that was made people really happy anyway. Like the, the MacBook Air was sure. a good uh, revision, but not perfect. There was an iMac update, but it wasn't as significant as you hoped it would be. Uh, Catalyst right. was ultimately a bust, and you thought it was mm-hmm. going to be a big deal. Jason, you were correct that the starting iPhone prices were brought lower. The iPhone 11 was not only like the position taking the role of the 10R, it was also cheaper anyway. Um, and there were improvements to shortcuts, and you had hoped then and prognosticated that I, the iOS on the iPad would become more powerful. Where Apple introduced an entire new operating system, as they call it, iPad OS. So. That is that. We're most we're pretty much going over just your predictions this episode. If you are intrigued in my predictions, uh, these are not my full predictions, but you can listen to uh, episode two hundred and seventy-five of Connected, where we do what we call the Rickies, which is a pick-based episode. There's a lot to unpack there as to why it's called that. Uh, I recommend just going to listen to that episode where me, Stephen, and Federico make some picks for the year, and there are lots of ramifications around our picks for the year. So let Jason, let's look at these, right? So we're going to start with just a few different categories. We'll start by looking at iPhone, the iPad, and wearable devices. So we're talking iPhone size changes. This is like a big thing that's been uh, rumored. What's going on here? Yeah, the the rumors, right? And we, we have to start with the with the supply chain rumors because that they tend to be accurate. And so I feel like that's the base of it. And what it looks like to me is that we're going to get essentially five new iPhones in 2020 based on these rumors, which I, I do believe are probably accurate. Um, but they're, you know, new in quotation marks because I think that there's only one that would really be considered new. And this seems to be Apple's kind of relentless sort of year after year, adding more variations to the iPhone so that customers have their customers have more options uh, because more options are good. And I think Apple has come to realize that. So, you know, based on the rumors, there's going to be a new iPhone SE that'll be out this spring that's basically the iPhone 6, 6S, 7, 8 size. Um, and that will be the, you know, so you want this cheaper, smaller phone, here it is. Um, and then the other rumors are that there are going to be four iPhones in the fall, right? So there'll be a new um, 11 Pro and 11 Pro Max that the 11 Pro, or so the 12, let's say, Pro Max will be bigger even bigger 
that the 10R slash 11, that there will be a 12, let's say, of that just again. Um, the rumor is that they're, they're going to add this big depth sensing thing on the back. But the one that I think is most intriguing is that there would be like another 10R class phone that's small. That's the that's the rumor. That's much smaller than the than the iPhone 10 style that we've been using for people who never really got used to having a phone that size. And potentially, you know, that's going to be the lowest priced um, of the main line of of iPhones. <laughs> So you 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 did something that all wild Apple people Apple watches do. You tried to give your guests on the names. I'll, I'll point out by the way, making up names about Apple products today is um is really easy because people will be like, no, no, they'll never do that, and you say, won't they? <laughs> because like like I don't have show me sh- show me the evidence that they won't have totally wacky names for their mm-hmm. products because that's been the last couple of years. So to name them all, going from uh, price is iPhone SE, iPhone 12, iPhone 12 Max, iPhone 12 Pro, and iPhone 12 Pro Max. Now mm-hmm. that seems like a lot, right? It seems like a wild thing to do. It does, unless you think about their last couple of years, right? And look at their competition. I mean, we live in the world of Pro Max. We yes. are in the Pro Max era. But here's, and you look it, at the competition, right? So if we if we think about that, right? One, they want more iPhones at varying price points to appeal to more buyers because they need to do that now, where they didn't before. The other thing is now there's been a lot of rumors around this, and I think it could make sense. Two release schedules. Samsung do this. The S lines come out in the spring, and the Note lines come out in the fall. And there have right. been some rumors saying that Apple is going to split this line. Now, imagine if the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 Max came out in March and the iPhone 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max came out in September. That would be, in theory, a smarter way to run their business because they don't have to pack everything into one time. It makes right. a lot of things very different about like, what is iOS anymore? Like, when does it come out? What does it focus on, right? Like, there's, like, weird things to do with that. Unless they're also, you know, many people have been saying, we want a roadmap. Maybe this is a way to do that. So, you know? I, I actually think that the case for this, uh, and I, I'm not, I didn't predict this, but I think it's possible, is the case for this is you put out your high-margin, expensive, cutting-edge product in the fall. And that's the the pro yep. model. Yep. Um. You could leave the iPhone 11 kicking around, right? And update it the next spring. Uh, You'd still release iOS in the fall. iOS first version would be, again, for the cutting-edge phone. It would be focused on the cutting-edge features of the cutting-edge phone. And by the time the next iteration of the phone came out in the spring, you would have... um, It would would be settled a Mm -hmm. little bit more. So that's the argument. The counter-argument is, are people going to be as enthusiastic about buying an iPhone 12 uh, three, six months after the 12 Pro has appeared or not. And I guess you could look at, you could ask that question about about Samsung, right? Are they, the, the Note and the regular Galaxy at different times, does that make a difference? Like, it, it, do they it interpret also, this as one product or two products? What way you do it, right? Because Samsung introduced all the new stuff first and then the expensive line gets all of that and a few more things so like apple could start they could have an event like 
in April or March and we get the iPhone 12. Like it, right. You know, and then they do the 12 Pro later in the year. Like that could, I mean, that's the yeah, way that, that, that competitors do it. Lots of uh, other companies work this way. And then the 12 would run iOS 13 and mm-hmm. iOS 14 would come out alongside the Pro in the fall anyway. Mm-hmm. And then iOS could. 14 could be like, all right, and now we're going to release these features in September and these features in March, right? Like, and they just lay that out and that's how they go yeah. for the future. I don't feel like that's necessary for them to do it that way, though. They don't. They, they no. could use their existing well, annual cycle. They don't have to of. do it, but they've been doing it by accident over the last few years, so they may as well just like do it, right? Yeah, like, I don't. You know, I, I wouldn't want to put those two things together because no. I think that's a separate argument mm-hmm. and it's not necessary. And I also don't think they're going to do it. <laughs> so. I, they don't, yeah, they don't have to. They could. They don't have to. Doesn't mean they will. But I, I am on board with the idea of splitting the iPhone line. Um, it would add maybe a little bit more steadiness to the earnings as well, um, potentially, right? Like, rather than one big spike quarter, the spike may be smaller and that the other quarters might level out a little bit more because of this. Uh, It also could add just a little bit more breathing room for Apple and their industrial design and manufacturing teams that they don't have to do everything at one time, right? That they can let things spread sure. out and breathe a little bit more. So. For sure. There are a lot of merits to this. We'll see. We'll see what they're going to do. Because five iPhone models is a lot, right? Yeah. It's a lot. If they're going to do five, they shouldn't bring them all out at the same time. If they're going to do four, they shouldn't bring them all out at the same so time, right? Here, here's the other here's the other thing I want to mention, too, which is um, for those who watch the Apple financials, like you can tell like the longer an iPhone design has been out, the less exciting it is to a portion of the market because mm-hmm. it's the same old phone and i'll just point out that with the with the pro iphone and pro max like the max getting bigger at least gives it a little bit of a differentiator but like that that iphone pro model was the iphone 10 it was the 10s and then it was the 11 pro so if there's a 12 pro this fall with a different camera on the back that's the fourth iphone 10 and with the 10R and the 11, an iPhone 12 would be the third iPhone 12. And I'm just saying that's a lot of iterations on a single design. And um, that's not great for sales. It's just not. No matter what they put on the back, if if the rumors are true, that product is a lot less uh, is gonna. It's not going to be a lot less interesting, but it's it's just fundamentally less interesting because it's the fourth iteration of a, yeah. the same product. Doesn't mean that it isn't better on the inside. Doesn't mean means it looks more or less the same. Do you think and it's that's going not to great look for different? sales? Do you think the twelve line will look different? I don't. I don't see. I mean, there are no rumors to that degree. I, that would be great, right? If it picked up the, it would be very dramatic and interesting if they picked up the. Uh, design language of the iPad Pro, let's say. Yeah, but there are. Um, rumors, I'm not sure. I believe that, but they're not necessarily coming from the places you would expect them to come. From. Like they're not coming from like the really yeah. reputable sources right now. Right. It would certainly it help if they had a, a look. If they had a look refresh, it would certainly help mm-hmm. because when you're going into year four of the iPhone 10, the iPhone 10's great, but it's year four regardless. Mm-hmm. And if you suddenly said, "Oh no, it it looks totally different. It's a totally." different looking kind of thing that uh, people who care about that stuff would get excited and there yep. tends to be 
uh, a sales bump there. And they may not feel they need it if they've got a Pro Max that's bigger and then they've got this smaller mainstream phone. Like those are the two new models and then the other ones just kind of motor along. And then the following year, there's a bigger change. That may be what they're thinking. I would be very surprised personally if they introduce new sizes to the line but the phones will look the same still that would be a surprise to me because i can't think of another time that apple have done that like changed the physical dimensions and kept the look the same and kept the look yeah i mean adding the bigger phone is a you know this is a 10 but it's also big Mm -hmm. right the 10 plus which is yeah 10 12 pro max 11 pro max but still, I, w- I would expect to see some change, but it doesn't have to be. I'm very intrigued about this lineup. No, you're right. You, you you look at five phones in 2020, and you're like, really? You know, really are they going to do that? Uh, but the last couple of years have told us that every time we get an iPhone rumor that we've said, really, to? It, yeah. The answer has been, yeah, really. Yeah. You predicted some other features. I reckon these will probably just be on the Pro models, but 5G and a faster refresh rate on the screen. Um, for for the overall smartphone market in 2020, these feel like table stakes. Like if you if you pay attention to everything, you got a a phone called a Pro, right? You got to have features on it that are Pro. You've got to. And and if the the rumors are true about OLED coming down into the lower end models, you really have to find yes. something, right? Something. So if it's that if it's the 3D camera stuff on the back, and it's uh 5G. And it's ProMotion. And the other one I threw out there, which, I, again, is more wish casting, but it's like, I just every time Apple comes out with a larger <laughs> phone, I have to say, Apple Pencil support? Apple Pencil support. Because mm. I mean, there's an argument to be made that the iPhone Pro is the Galaxy Note, right? Yes. Like, that's what it is. And yeah. Samsung has, I mean, and if you're thinking of the Galaxy Note as like one giant phone, it's like, the Galaxy Note's a line now. There are, there are, I get very confused. There are Galaxy Notes that are not that much different in size than the Galaxy. You're like, what, what's well, the, the difference? S, and, the S you're thinking of. It's just, they're all galaxies. It's just so confusing. They're all, they're they're all, all galaxies, galaxy. right? So, so they, but yeah. they, they, they aren't as clearly differentiated as you might think. They're, they, they overlap a little yeah. bit. In 2019, Samsung made their lineup significantly more complicated by they're, they're real, the, really the, yeah. between the Note and the S11 Plus, the only difference <laughs> is one has a stylus. Like, that's kind of where they yeah, are with that right. now. And so this is my point is differentiation can be good and you can see what Samsung does. And I look at this, well, we're going to have this iPhone 12 Pro Max that's got an even bigger screen than what's in the 11 Pro Max. Um, Apple Pencil, it's right there. Mm-hmm. You did all the software work. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people would love it and it's not a mandatory feature and why not? You got a giant screen on this thing. Why not do it? So I'll throw that in there too. But I do think that... That is an ongoing challenge is you want to roll these really great features down into your mainstream models, but how do you keep the pro model actually a pro model? How do you do that? You've got to have new stuff pouring in that people are going to want and that think is uh, cool and cutting edge. I would really want to see them make a pencil that is scaled to the phone size, though. I wouldn't want the current Apple Pencil. I mean, it wouldn't work anyway because it couldn't charge, right? Like that's that's the difference between yeah. Pencil 1 and Pencil 2. Like Pencil 1, you could still charge it the same way. Pencil 2 won't work in that yeah. regard. Yeah, unless they had, the, unless they had the new, a new design with the sides and 
It would, wouldn't it be weird though like to that. have a pencil that's significantly larger than the phone attached to the? It would it just be. be very strange, but it would be. It would feel to me that they would need like a golf pencil or something. Yeah, to put and on I think there. that'd be yeah. sweet. It'd be like a cute little thing. And let's talk about the iPad Pro. What do you think's going to happen to the iPad line in general uh, this year? Well, they turned over so much of it uh, in 2019, but not the Pro. So I think the Pro is where the the interesting yeah. thing will happen. And I mentioned it earlier, which is having just put out a new iPad Pro in the fall of, of 2018, it's version two. You're generally not going to do anything dramatic with that. They, there is that rumor about the cameras on the back, the new camera stack that they want to do that's better for AR and depth perception and things like that. On the front... You know, what do you what do you do to change it? I, I don't know, which is why I keep, kept coming back to accessories, that if the knock on this was like the software was uh, holding it back, well, the software's better. It's not perfect, but iOS 13 did enable more pro kind of functionality on iPadOS. So how do you take it one better? And I keep thinking about like accessory related stuff. Like you, you're not going to completely redesign the iPad Pro, but you could design a new accessory that uses the the smart connector on the back to create a, you know, maybe a more laptop-like keyboard as an option in addition to the existing smart keyboard. Mm-hmm. That would be one way to go. I mentioned it earlier. You could have it have a trackpad if you added that as a uh, as an iOS feature. If you did that, you probably wouldn't ship it until the fall when iOS is out, but you could do that. Or it could just be a beefed-up smart keyboard give people two options they can get this thicker heavier keyboard that feels more like a laptop that would be pretty sweet um and then i threw in the sd card slot i know it seems silly but like it's a pro ipad photographers love it it's great for photography it's got you can have a huge storage in it it's got that beautiful screen maybe in addition to the usb port which people said oh well they'll never put usb on an ios device and they did Maybe you do put a, a, like an SD card slot on it and say, this is great for photography because it tells a pro story. Mm. And they've got three, four other iPads that don't tell the pro story. Can you imagine the outrage if Apple put a SD card on the iPad and not on the MacBook Pro? I can. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, that's what gives me pause on that one. Like, I agree with your thinking, but, like, you could make the same argument for the MacBook Pro as it being a great photographer device. Yep. And they haven't got one on there. It's true. And yet, I don't know. I, I... I think that you and I are in the, essentially, we're in the meeting for this product Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when we're talking, which is, what do we do? to make this more pro we're not going to do a complete industrial design refresh on it but what can we do to push this forward and i'm going to be in the corner going well i got some accessory ideas we could we could do a second smart keyboard that was smarter and more pro since every again talk about differentiation like every ipad basically except the mini can do keyboard stuff now and has a smart keyboard uh or or has a has pencil support like the the amount of differentiation we have across the line it's getting kind of weak so we need some new things so a really pro keyboard attachment thing for the people you've seen all you know I, I would say to these imaginary people around this table at Apple you know there is the bridge keyboard people talk about it it's not for everybody but it's out there we could do a way better job 
if it was a first party keyboard and we could still sell the smart keyboard to most people but this would give us a pro message yeah. it would help us different differentiate and then i would bring up the sd card and probably be laughed out of the room but i would say you know what let's forget about the mac let's focus on this product do we know that a lot of photographers use this do we sell this as a great ultra mobile photography studio could we put an SD card slot next to the USB-C? It would be very tiny, um, and it would be another way to differentiate it and say, this is the one that pros need to get. And then they would say, please leave your badge at, uh, at the front desk on your way out. We've told you leave. time and time again, Jason. <laughs> you won't listen. Insert <laughs> your badge in the SD <laughs> slot at the exit and then leave. Get out. What about, so you also referenced the Apple Watch 6 and the AirPods 2 as products that will exist in your expectation. It seems pretty pretty set. Do you have any real thoughts on what these could feature? No. I, I mean, this. so this is the thing. AirPods, new AirPods, um, we have them. So they're probably not going anywhere. I think the only thing that we might get is, uh, is the rumored AirPods over-ear stuff. Oh, okay. Head pods. Um, because, yeah, head pods. Um, because that would allow them to apply that to something that isn't a Beats branded thing, but uses noise canceling. And I think we've seen now Apple's interest in expanding AirPods beyond the original. They did the second generation. They did the AirPods Pro. I I feel like you have such success in that area. Why would you not carry it through? And I know that they have Beats as well, but like, but still Apple branded over ear headphones. I think Apple, if I was in charge of AirPods at Apple, again, I'm sitting at a table. They've given me my badge back. SD card slot. Uh, yeah. I, I would say everything we do here is successful. Let's do more. There are other areas in this market that we can attack with an Apple, with white Apple branded things. Let's keep rolling, right? Like this is, there's no reason for us to stop. Let's do headphones. I know we'll also still sell Beats headphones. I want Apple headphones that are Apple branded that people can wear around and then they'll have their white headphones with them. I also think, see, you mentioned white headphones a few times. I think if you want to do something with your AirPods, you could do some new finishes, different sure. colors. You could do that. And that would be a, we have Guys, nothing. Johnny's gone. We don't exactly. just need to do them in white anymore. But I just feel like we, you know, it's like you said, we're, back, we're back in that room again when we're the AirPods team. We have nothing uh-huh. to give to the AirPods from a technology line because we also don't want to encroach on AirPods Pro. What can we do to refresh them to get them back in stockings again next year? Yeah. We'll put them in some colors. We talk to our plastic guys mm-hmm. and the plastic guys say, we can, we can get you colored plastic for next mm-hmm. fall. And they're like, whoa. And then they do it. Yeah. Yeah, then they're like the like the iPod Nano, right? We've got mm-hmm. our serious white, uh, awesome Pro headphones here, and then we've got our fun colors for the the lower end model. Yeah, Nano Chromatic, like Jason. I like what you're saying. You're 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 hired early. You're hired for Apple Watch. I have one thing, which is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say sleep tracking again. Yeah, because I feel like they'll do some more battery things. That they it's it's a logical place for them to do uh, a health update. And I think wear your watch overnight and it tracks your sleep. And it's like, you can already do this and then charge it. Like when you have breakfast or are in the shower in the morning. Uh, and I feel like it's just, it's right there. So if, if I had to guess, and that's a combination of the hardware improving and also the software um, supporting sleep tracking stuff. But I, I feel like that has to be where they, where they go next. Didn't they give an award of some description recently to a sleep tracking app yeah it's funny right because 
it's there, but it's not like blessed by Apple as something to do with your Apple Watch. And Apple owns, you know, Bedit, which makes a, like a sleep sensor you put on the bed. Yeah. But I feel like having having a, a, a scenario where it's tracking your sleep mm-hmm. and then it's also able to give you like a wake up alarms on your wrist. Yep. And even they could potentially even do that thing where it's like we're monitoring whether you're sleeping deeply or lightly and we can we can have that adjustable alarm that wakes you up when you are surfacing instead of as you dive back down for more deep sleep because we know when you need to wake up. I think uh I think I can see a sales pitch around that. They didn't give an award. It was in their press release when they were talking about their awards. They also spoke about like the best the 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 highest selling apps and games of the year oh that's it that's and it it's from that episode of connected where you guys were talking about yeah. like what exactly is apple doing with its marketing and one of the highest selling like the biggest selling apple or apple watch apps is a sleep tracker it was like it was it wasn't an app it was in the apple watch but it was in the kind of apps of the year was an app that was just an apple watch sleep tracking app so that is yeah, like right. which is a wild thing to consider um I cannot find that that app right now, but I I know it exists somewhere. I think it was like uh, auto sleep. I think it was auto sleep. Um, but yeah, I just think that that was that was like a wild thing that it was for the Apple Watch, but it was in the top app paid apps of the year. So like you look at that data, Apple must surely be working on it. You'd be wild not to right like if people are buying these applications right nothing sends a better signal than seeing incredible success in the app store right i mean this is a thing that apple gets accused of all the time is oh they they took my idea and they integrated it which has happened forever and Mm -hmm. that's just if you're a platform owner you you find out it's one of those I, i see those stories and i really roll my eyes i don't i it's not that i don't feel bad for the developer who comes up with a great idea and then it's in the software but at the same time can you imagine a world where the uh, the platform owner is unable to develop any new features if they exist in a third-party app? It's like you can't live like that as a platform owner. So you have to look at the signal from the app store and say, oh, my God, our customers want sleep tracking. It is so clear. Plus, it's health, which is perfectly aligned with what we're doing. Let's make it happen. And I can only assume that... The, the reason that it hasn't happened yet is that they're worried about the kind of battery issues with that, especially since they added the always-on display and that hits their battery. But it's got to happen. It's got to happen. I Like, I remember there was a story recently that, that detailed that Apple had a team that looks for trends in the App Store and then they talk about them, right? As if, like, these are these things that we want to do. And it's like, of course, you know, like, of course they would have that. You'd be wild not to. Um, I can't find th- for sure the name of that app. I'm looking. I think they may have changed the press release to remove that information. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, there was a previously an Apple press release, and it also said these were the the most uh, downloaded apps of the year. But I know it was in there. I believe it was Auto Sleep, but that's beside the point. Should we talk about the Mac? Yeah, let's do it. A third, another MacBook Pro update for the th- current 13-inch. Lots of people are hoping that they will make uh, a MacBook Pro, which is like the 16-inch MacBook Pro. Do you think that will happen in 2020? Yeah, I feel like the easiest prediction to make at all is that they will do a, a revision of the um, smaller MacBook Pro and that it will include the new keyboard. I think that's a gimme. That's a layup. That is the yeah. easiest one. I think the hard one is the MacBook Air because... Again, differentiation, having the 
Magic Keyboard on the Pro model and not on the Air, you could make an argument is differentiation. This is not an argument I want to make. I'm just saying I'm trying to think like Apple here. That said, uh, and when I wrote this article, what I said was it really depends on how confident they feel that this, you know, bad PR aside, that their new materials version of the Butterfly Keyboard actually solved the problem. And given that you and I have a friend, Mr. Stephen Hackett, who has a 2019 MacBook Pro 15, so it's the new materials keyboard that is supposedly better at resisting and that he's got like a crunchy delete key. He had a completely stuck delete key as well last time I saw it. So that... It didn't fix it. That kind of data point, that kind of anecdote makes me think, oh, it no, they've got to get rid of it on the yeah. MacBook Air too. But I, I feel like if I'm Apple and I've gotten beaten up, by, especially by the pro users about this, um, but I feel like, again, PR aside, I feel like I actually did solve the problem with a butterfly keyboard and it's not a problem anymore. I can make the argument to keep it on the MacBook Air. If it's still a problem, you just got to get rid of it. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know how they feel about it internally um, because it would be a differentiator. But my hope is that the next MacBook Air will also just have the Mac, the Magic uh, Keyboard, and that in fact that the MacBook Air was built at, during a time when they built this new MacBook Air, the Retina MacBook Air, during a time when they knew they would be doing a keyboard transition, and so it's engineered so that they could put in the new keyboard instead. That's my hope. If it helps Apple, if you update the MacBook Air to include the Magic Keyboard, the Holy Household will buy two of them. I'll- Look at that. Well, then that it's maybe that will like help tip it over the edge for you. But like, sold. Both me and Adina are looking for updates. Like, her, she has like a MacBook Pro, the last MacBook Pro 13 inch before the keyboard change, right? So it's you know it's one of the the thicker ones with the with the scissor switch keyboard, right? The ones that were like considered to be gold dust for a while because people hated the new ones. And her uh-huh. battery is just like. It just doesn't run very well. It's just not running very well anymore. And I have the first MacBook Pro Escape key version with no touch bar. Um, and I, we want to replace both of those with MacBook Airs. Um, but I'm not doing that f- until... I'm not doing it until Apple change it. When, if they revise it this year and it doesn't include the Magic Keyboard, I may still get at least one of them. I'm just waiting to see what they move, like how they move, right? Because if they don't do it, it means they may never do it. Um, and yep. then, you know, then we'll, well, we'll work all at that point. We may go with 13-inch MacBook Pros again, right? But I, I want to see what they do because I would prefer a MacBook Air to a MacBook Pro because I just don't need a MacBook Pro. Um, but But we'll see. What about the iMac? Do you think you're going to get the revision to the iMac that you want? So... I think that the iMac is, I mean, it's ripe, right? It it hasn't changed its look in more than a decade. Mm -hmm. But, so my prediction is this, which is... Are you going to join the club of the iMac Pro is dead? Because I'm in that club. I think Marco's now in that club. I think that the iMac Pro is gone. I was already in the room and you guys walked in. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. The iMac Pro was conceived as a replacement for the Mac Pro, and then they decided they needed to make a Mac Pro. So here's what I think. I think they're going to use the iMac Pro design, which is an internal redesign where it gets rid of spinning hard drives 
and it uh, puts in a much better cooling system. I think they're going to use that as the basis for a new, and there's no rumors here. I'm just making this up, but this is what I think. I want to predict something. Here's my prediction. Um, they're going to use that as a base, basis for the new version of the 5K 27-inch iMac. So the big iMac will get the new cooling system, will no longer offer any spinning hard drives, and will have the fastest available core processors, but not Xeons. Which already, if you look, those core processors are very fast. Like the modern, I believe the modern iMac for uh, at the high end is faster than my base model iMac Pro. Now, not at the high end of the iMac Pro, but if you're at the high end of the iMac Pro, there's a really strong argument that you should just get a Mac Pro now that the Mac Pro exists. So I think it would be logical to say, look, we're going to take our high end iMac, our our 5K iMac, and we're going to basically it's going to be the iMac Pro except uh, we won't either we won't put Xeons in there or we will put Xeons in there as an option. So, But we're not going to even call it the iMac Pro. We're just going to call it the iMac. And then we're going to keep the 4K and non-retina low-end iMac kicking around using the existing technology that's been there forever. Spinning drives are available. Fusion drives are available. And that's going to let us hit uh, lower prices, and we're going to continue to sell those. But on the higher end, with the big iMac, we're going to fold the iMac Pro into the big iMac. That's my prediction, is that I don't think they're going to take the iMac Pro effort that they did in engineering and throw it away. But I kind of have a hard time seeing them um, keeping it around. I, I hope they do, but it, there, there's like three products in two slots right now. Like it, the iMac Pro is kind of both an iMac and a Mac Pro, and I don't know if they need that pro, that computer. I think that they could do with a really capable, uh, thermally controlled high end iMac that can go up to a pretty powerful processor, and then that will go high end enough that beyond that point, you say now you need to go to the Mac Pro. I think the they iMac can do Pro that. as a line doesn't need to exist. It can just be the highest end iMac that replaces it, as you say. And if you really need more, go to the Mac Pro. Like I think that what they should yep. do is what you said, right? Like a new iMac that if you spec it up right to the top, is like super powerful. Yep. So then the iMac Pro just doesn't need to be there anymore. And that's why we've not right. seen it. Because honestly... As anybody who's used those uh, modern iMacs, like last year's iMacs, uh, will tell you, oh, the, if you if you get a high end processor, like those fans, those fans go on and they go on loud because mm-hmm. the old iMac thermal uh, system is not; it's struggling at the edges of that, and the iMac Pro does not have a problem with it. But what you give up is the spinning disk stuff, and I think, uh, yeah, so an iMac with a T2 and uh, a great cooling system and SSD only like the time is here and that product's already been designed and it's the iMac Pro so why not just use that as the new iMac and say hey that iMac Pro that's what the iMac is now and you know there can there cannot be Xeons in it and it's fine it's fine I would like to see a refreshed industrial design yeah I just I feel like maybe they're never going to do that I, I or, or not do that anytime soon. I don't want to say never because there's always something, but I feel like they must be comfortable with it. I would love to see less bezel on the iMac and maybe they, they'll do that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You can make the screen a little bit bigger, you know, reduce the bezels, make the screen bigger. I would like they that. Could. I would like they that. Could. That'd be nice. Um, What else on the Mac? Do you think we're going to, do you think Catalyst is going to Phoenix mm. its way? Out of mm. flames. 
Mm. I no. I would like there's what I what I would like is for Apple to get it together and uh improve Catalyst and uh you know keep pushing Catalyst ahead so that in the OS release that happens in the fall um Catalyst is that much more more good and able to be make good Mac apps and that's what I would like. Do I think that's going to happen? Yeah. I see very little evidence that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we will see more Catalyst apps in 2020 because I think one of the reasons the Catalyst is is not as big as we thought it would be is because of its limitations. But I think that it's also that the developers are just too busy with everything else. Like the apps that I expected to be using on my Mac that were from iOS um, to my knowledge, are basically not even being developed right now for Catalyst. And it's because iOS 13 was, you know, compatibility updates were hard. And then new feature updates are hard. It was a tough summer. And then you look at Catalyst and you're like, well, I'm not prioritizing that right now. <laughs> right? So I I don't know. I, I So I would like to see more Catalyst improvements, but I, I don't think I could predict it. Uh, what about ARM? Um... I predict ARM Macs every year. Why stop now? <laughs> uh, I, you would think that if they introduced an iMac or an iPad Pro in late 2018, that was faster than 90 plus percent of all laptops released that year. That Apple and I, I did have a friend of mine say that it's a friend of a friend thing. Uh, say that he talked to this guy who was very technically knowledgeable, who said. Oh, making a mobile processor is easy. Making a computer processor is hard. And they're not, you can't, you, you know, so when people say Apple's going to make their own ARM processors for their, for the Macs, that's not going to happen. It's much, it's much too hard. And it's like, I, I see the argument from a, uh, especially like across the entire product line perspective, I see it, but I look at the processor that's in the, that's in the iPad pro and think that could be in an ARM MacBook, and it would be probably faster than the macbook was Mm. so um i would i i feel like it's an inevitability that apple's going to use their own processors on part of the mac line at least but when (laughs) uh again i just put it out there for this year because it didn't happen last year or the year before the year before that and i i keep predicting it but i feel like there's a hole in the consumer laptop you know the the macbook air has arrived, which is great, but they have one consumer laptop. Wouldn't it be nice if they had a, another, they did that thin and light, an unbelievable battery life laptop story again, but this time it was with uh, an ARM laptop. So, I'll, sure, I'll predict it, but I've been wrong every year since I started predicting it. So we spoke about Catalyst. What about software in general across Apple's platforms? Do you have any key themes that you think Apple are going to focus on in 2020? <laughs> themes. It's good to have themes, isn't it? Themes for the year are pretty good, I've heard. I got to I got to think that the after iOS 13 and after uh Catalina that there's going to be some uh stability across their platforms. Um on iOS, uh, you know, I, I will put in my wish for more shortcuts stuff because I think that that gets Apple um building a structure in which third-party developers and users can build their own stuff so you don't have to build it for them is something that every computing platform really needs to get to at some point and and it takes the burden off of you as a as a platform developer to say look we we gave you the tools to automate this to add these features yourself we we're not going to do it iOS isn't there yet 
So they've got more work to do. I think the share sheet, they've been refining it. That needs to keep getting better. It's still kind of messy, but I think it's a good direction where, you know, you get a menu of items and it's items from the app and from other apps and suggestions. I like continue to refine that. Um, And then let's throw in the cursor support. Like I would really like to see them go further down that route for iPad uh, OS. And more broadly, they named it iPad OS last year. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would like to believe that that means they will have to add some iPad-specific features. There's no option. In a way that they otherwise have not every other year for the last six years. This is not a question in my mind anymore. This is a necessity. There has to be features to iPadOS specifically. You have to do it. It has to get its stage time, and you do it. Because otherwise, what was the whole point Right, like you give tvOS time every year, even if you only add a little. You give watchOS time every year, even if you only add a little. iPadOS needs its time, and you give it something. It could be anything, but it's got to be something, and it has to be iPad specific. Otherwise, there was absolutely no point in calling it iPadOS. You may as well just kept it as iOS. No one was like, well, okay, I say no one in inverted commas. Nobody was really asking for iPad to be spun off in this way, like. Right, we were mostly fine. Like, you know, there was thoughts of like, wouldn't it be interesting or wouldn't it be nice? But like, no one was like, you must do this, Apple. Everybody just wanted features, but you decided, Apple. You took the step to call it a separate operating system. Uh, you know, again, it's not separate, but they market it differently. It has a separate set of features. That means you have to commit. Otherwise, there was no point. Do you have a wild card? I know you do. I've read the articles, but can you please tell me your wild card pick for twenty twenty? Um, the dream that will never die <laughs> uh, speaking of the arm mac which is really like always the wild card never the card never something the, like that yeah ne- uh never chosen as the card um ipad os laptop like i know it's i know it's not going to happen almost certainly but like all the pieces are there they could do it if they want to if they want to iterate on the i on the iPad and iPad OS in a way that they've expanded the iPad line. I talked about how there's clearly some interest in people in using iOS in a laptop sort of shape. If you couple that with improvements, again, improvements to cursor support, um, I don't know, they could make an iPad OS laptop that would be what we've already described, which is what, why don't we take this thing that is a very functional operating system and getting better every year and put it in a laptop shape for people who want a laptop shape. I don't really want this product because I like, I like using a tablet. That's why I use the iPad the most is that I use a tablet, but I do know people and I think people exist who would really love the idea of using iPad OS as a laptop. And maybe it folds over and maybe it's convertible or something like that, but I don't know. I think this product could exist, and it's a question of uh, does Apple want it to exist? I think all signs point to them not wanting it to exist, but I got to make a wacky pick. This is my Ricky pick, Mike. Uh, oh, thank you. They made a video I, iPod, you know. Who wants one of those things? They made one. So right? you never know. Jesse. Right. I just, I, the, the, this is like the flip side of the coin that I'm flipping for my ARM mm-hmm, Mac, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is an ARM laptop would have very long battery life. And the apps on iOS are very capable, most of them. Not the Google apps, but like Microsoft Office. And like there are very capable apps. You could, as somebody who uses an iPad as, an, as a laptop sometimes, 
you could totally do it. Even without a trackpad, you could totally do it. So, you know, it, it's, it would be a little more like a Chromebook. It would not have the full Mac experience, but it would have the full iPad OS experience. I could sit in that room before being escorted out. Who Again. is this guy? He doesn't work here. Get him out. And, and make that claim, which is, okay, we're not confident in making an ARM Mac OS device right now. Why don't we make an ARM laptop? And it's just the same internals, more or less, that are going in the iPad Pro that we're doing, except it's attached to a keyboard. I, you know, again, if Apple was not as conservative as they are in terms of what products they release, if they were more like Samsung, it's like, sure, or even Microsoft, let's put it out, see what happens. That I think they we would already have seen it. But I think that Apple is always reluctant to release a product if they don't think that there's an enormous market for it. And um, I think there's a real question about whether this would be an enormous product. That that said, as part of a product line that includes the iPad Pro and the iPad and the iPad Air and the uh, iPad Mini, maybe. So that's Jason's 2020 predictions. I look forward Play to reviewing those. Lay it back in 12 months, folks. This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Whether you're super focused at work, having a chilled out day, or you forgot to prep your meal for the evening, you still have to eat, right? And with DoorDash, why not have your dinner be from your favorite restaurant delivered right to your door so you can carry on doing whatever it is you want to be doing at home? Ordering is easy. You open the DoorDash app, you choose what you want to eat, and you have your food delivered to you wherever you are. Your favorite pizza place is probably already on DoorDash because there are over a quarter of a million restaurants in over 3,000 cities. That is door-to-door delivery in all 50 states of the U.S. and Canada, too. So you can order from your local go-tos or from your favorite national restaurants, your big chain restaurants like Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory, Wendy's, whatever's your bag. Jason, could you tell me a little bit about your DoorDash experiences? Uh, we used it uh, to get uh, Indian food nice. from the really nice Indian restaurant that is uh, down the street. And uh, that was great. Um, in fact, we agreed that we were going to have Indian food in the early afternoon. And I actually went on DoorDash and picked everybody's orders and set it to a time and said, deliver this at 530 or something like that. it is a good idea to not order when you're hungry, <laughs> right? Yeah. You order before because otherwise yeah. you just order way too much and i already know and i would never call a restaurant and say can you make this order for me in four hours right like i would never trust that but with doordash you're using the doordash infrastructure and you're just basically timing your order it's like send this order in when the wait time is going to correspond to and they use their kind of computer now that's stuff clever to do that and at the end i say i want it at six and they they will send in that order at the time that they estimate it will be here at six and like that. Uh, yeah super convenient and uh, then you know, then you're just going about your life and somebody knocks at the door and it's like, oh, it's the food that I asked for five hours ago. So there's a little pro tip. Or you can just say, give me my food now. Give me and, now. Uh, that, that also works. Right now, listeners of this show can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code UPGRADE. That is $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and use the promo code UPGRADE. Download it now, start planning your dinner, and get $5 off with the promo code UPGRADE off your first order from DoorDash. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason Snell. Mike Hurley. Can we talk about the best thing 
Well, best named thing ever. <laughs> Project Connected Home over IP. This is a terrible name for a great thing. This was announced a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, and I really wanted to talk about it. I didn't want to let it go. Uh, basically, all of the major smart home tech companies like Apple, Google, and Amazon, along with a selection of accessory makers, are joining together to create an alliance called the Connected Home over IP. This has been given various names. I like the name Chip. I think you like the name Chop, right? Chop, yeah. It's very NASA to, to go the other way and say it's uh, the over is what mm-hmm. counts. <laughs> But and then we ignore like the I chip? and go to the P because NASA st- NASA does stupid stuff like that all the time when they're I've making their acronyms. I've changed my mind and I want to call it Choi, like C H O I. So Choy. I'm going to go with Choi. Yeah, but the, the the fact that the press release doesn't give it a name that's cute and clever suggests that that's not going to be the name. <laughs> I liked that all of the names you were proposing at the end of the article, like Smart Home Everywhere or Any Any Tech Home Hub, like just like some stupid <laughs> yep. name that they're going to give it. But uh-huh. look. The naming doesn't matter because what has happened is that these companies have announced plans to create an open source protocol for all of their devices to work together no matter who makes them. This is a quote from the website. The goal is to simplify development for manufacturers and increase compatibility for consumers. The project is built around a shared belief that smart home devices should be secure, reliable, and seamless to use which is great. This is just great. This is exactly what you want. You never thought you were going to get it, right? Because it doesn't make sense when you think about how Apple, Google, and Amazon specifically work. Like, why on earth would they want to work together? We'll maybe get to that in a minute, but like, it just doesn't seem like it fits with the company's overall plans. After the announcement of this, Apple open-sourced some parts of their HomeKit accessory development kit so people can play around with what they do and how they could maybe uh, interact with them. These are now available on the Apple developer site. The likely, the real likely outcome of this is that a company could like more quickly tinker around to see if they can realistically make something uh, before getting certification. I reckon that the certification is going to change. Like, I feel like the, the MFI certification that people still need to go through is not going to be the same because of this new. Well, like, for, for home for kit stuff, I, I would assume that this organization will have a certification system that's fairly straightforward. That yeah. We'll just say works with whatever we call Works with CHOP, CHOI. CHOI. Works with, chop works choy. with uh, any tech home hub. Right? So, <laughs> Dream <laughs> life spot. Home smart life future, whatever Flower. it's going to be. But like you, yeah. ex- you expect that it will change in some way. But I think it's cool that like Apple immediately did something where they're like, all right, so now this is open source. Go wild, right? Like, Which is a great way to stir up a bit more excitement in this uh, community. Can uh-huh. I read a quote from you, Jason, uh, that you oh, wrote yes. in your article about this? Yes, please. My quick hit reaction to this is that we're so far down the smart home path that the major players have realized none of them have dominated the initial land grab, and now all of them face a barrier to growth because of the incompatibility of the different smart home tech approaches. So basically, as a, everyone's doing their own thing. There's a bunch of stuff out there. None of it works together, and now maybe people aren't adopting it. It, it used to be... Our way to grow is to dominate and make everybody be inside our silo. And now we've reached the point where they all look around and say, our growth is being limited by this silo. <laughs> it's like, yep. yeah, it is. Nobody won. Nobody completely blew out everyone else and brought them to their knees. Everybody's in their little silos. And the third-party developers hate the fact that they have to build integrations with all of these different kinds yep. of home platforms instead of just one. And so everybody, this is like, to me, this is disarmament. This is everybody realizing they are better off working together 
than trying to force everybody into their specific silo and that growth will happen when the that the open path here is going to cr- create more growth for them than control over a silo and and you know you would think apple would be the last to do that but i would argue that apple's been down this path for a while now ever since it realized that it had to stop enforcing its hardware encryption and things like that apple yep. has been backpedaling on the you know how porous its silo is for a while now yeah. because they weren't getting people to use HomeKit. And Apple have the least amount of products available out of those three companies, right? Like yeah. Google and Amazon both make more than just the talkie hub thing, right? Like the thing you talk to. Mm-hmm. Apple only make those products, and then everything else has to be certified. the The rest of the stuff. Like, so the other companies, they're making other stuff. When I look at this whole thing, I feel like the fly in the ointment was Amazon. Amazon got in early and like established this market, got a lot of product into a lot of homes, right? The Echo seems to be a pretty popular thing because they sell it so cheaply, right? You can get into the ecosystem. But then Amazon couldn't capitalize because they don't have the rest of the ecosystem, right? Like they don't have phones and tablets that people are really buying on mass and using so they got out there started integrating with anyone in, in any way they possibly could and probably made it harder for a google or an apple to really own it because people were already using the amazon devices and basically no one's been able to create a full solution which seems obvious now when you look at it, like no one was ever going to be able to do this and i expect that some stuff started happening where companies like philips we're going to the larger companies like to Apple and being like, look, you are this percent of our market now. We are not interested in going through this certification with you anymore because if we just go with the other guys, it's easy, right? Yep. Like I imagine stuff like that started happening. So then these companies started bounding together or it might have been a case of like, again, a company like a Philips, like a large company going to all of them and being like, we're not going to do this. We're going to keep playing this game, right? Like, why don't you integrate with us now instead? How about that mm-hmm. one? You know, uh, I reckon that what we're going to end up with here is something akin to Bluetooth, in the sense that, like, so AirPods, they are Bluetooth headphones, and they will work with any Bluetooth device, right? You can just pair them, but when you pair them to an Apple device, they have extra features. And I reckon that what will end up happening is, yes, smart home devices work in the overall thing and you can use this product with this company this company this product this company but if you get like these like ordained pairs they get additional features right so like you can use nest with the home pod but if you use nest with google home it gives you a little bit more you know what i mean yeah i think the other big thing that will happen if this works is you know i have at least two and i think maybe three little wireless things that are attached to my network at home mm-hmm. that are separate from my Wi-Fi network in order to talk to specific devices right. that I have in my home that are smart home devices, right? Like yeah. I've got a Philips Hue hub. I've got a Lutron Casita hub. I've got a uh, uh, an Arlo camera hub. And they're each doing, the Arlo is actually the doing Wi-Fi. Stuff. Um, but it's it's like its own. The others are whatever. They're Zigbee or whatever. They're like other wireless protocols. And that's the over IP part of this thing is it's also coming together and saying we need to come up with standards for wireless 
and communication over uh, IP, you know, you know, internet protocol, so that there's interoperability. I think that means that in the long run, it may not be that everything has embedded Wi-Fi that just works with your Wi-Fi router. But if not that, that you should be able in this you know, future, in a few years, you should be able to buy like a hub from anyone and all devices that use that will just be able to use it. So like in my example, I think if this all comes to pass, I wouldn't have needed to buy two or three different little wireless bridges for specific kinds of tech, right? There'd just be like, get a wireless bridge or don't use one at all because we're using Wi-Fi. Um, and that would be that would be a huge thing because it's mm-hmm. ridiculous that you're like, oh, I'd like to buy this light bulb, but in order to do that, I have to buy this plastic box and attach it to Ethernet yep. and plug it in. And it's like, no, no one wants to do that. Yeah. In our home, we have like the basics at this point. Like because, for this reason, like it, the more I got into it, it's like this is just becoming so much more complicated than I wanted it to be. So, but we are also in that boat of like, we have the HomePod and I use uh, the HomePod to do like to control our lights and stuff. But we also use the Echo for that. And the Echo is used more in our home. Like it, we had it first. So it, we trained ourselves to just say the Amazon wake word and ask it to do things. But also the Echo works with some other products in our home and the HomePod doesn't. So like we have a Dyson yep. fan that you can control and our Roomba you can control with the Echo. So we're never going to leave that because we have some benefits there. And honestly, the HomePod, we don't use a ton for the smart home stuff because we would have to be using both of them. Yeah, and the this is where if anybody has used HomeBridge, which I use, which is like a piece of software that you can run that um, it does what it says. It connects these different things. It's basically HomeKit. Mm-hmm. It's a HomeKit bridge that takes things that aren't HomeKit compatible and puts them on HomeKit. And it's great. But really what it says to me is that's what the future needs to be. Which is in theory is, right? Everything like, should just yeah. work together. Like because I'm using HomeKit, I'm using an Apple device and I plug in a Google device, it should just show up, right? It shouldn't be like, oh no, I don't work with HomeKit. I only work with Google and Amazon. That's so frustrating. It's so annoying. So um, I, I think it also means that, um, you know, you could probably, there'll be a, like a bridge product that will, will backward compatibility everything and it will probably be based on HomeBridge. But uh, but that would be nice, right? To not have, we, we will, it's going to take time, but we will ideally, I, and I think this is going to happen. I, I'm not too skeptical about it. I think it's going to take time and you're going to have old products that you're going to have to replace and it's going to be annoying. But I do think we're going mm. to reach enter this second phase where um, everything's just going to work on everybody's you, home see, systems. That's interesting because I had thought to myself like backwards compatibility is a very important part of this. Now, they're going to be, you know, I, I don't think they're going to say, oh, Philips, ha- all their old light bulbs now will just show up on HomeKit. I'm like, no, I mean, or I mean, that may be a bad example because they actually do work with HomeKit. But I, I think you're going to have orphan products that won't get a firmware update or something to work, right? They're, they're not going to work. It's going to be a new standard and new things are going to be certified. And the stuff that is new-ish at the time that it all gets worked out will become compatible and the stuff that already worked with all of them will stay. But I'm sure that if you've got some, you know, smart thermostat that only works with Alexa and Google home, 
let's say, and not HomeKit, um, and then they do this thing, it's not going to get a software update to work with HomeKit. I don't think that'll happen. So like your like your first generation Nest thermostat that you're still using that doesn't work with HomeKit unless you use HomeBridge, like it's not going to get a software update. That's never going to happen. You're going to need a new thermostat. Whatever it is, though, I'm excited for Choi because <laughs> I think that this is needed to to continue the advancement of this type of technology in yep. the same way yep. that Wi-Fi was needed, right? Like, and we got that. So, well, bring nice on stuff. Smart Life Home Hub Plus tech Bot Pro Plus Plus Pro. Pro. Smart Home Plus Pro. That's what they're going to call it. Everyone mm-hmm. loves pluses and pros. This episode is brought to you by Booz Allen. Modernizing for the future is a challenge, especially for large organizations. You may need to integrate legacy systems with new technology. You may need to incorporate AI and analytics to work more efficiently and make fast decisions. And everyone needs new ways of thinking to move to what's next, whether for government or commercial goals. And Booz Allen understands, and they're helping some of the world's largest organizations to modernize. They understand the missions of government and industry, and they and the need to adapt to constant change. They provide open source solutions so clients can integrate innovation from anywhere, whether from visionary startups or major contractors. Plus, they're helping their clients power new technologies of analytics. And because security is everyone's priority, they integrate their capabilities of intelligence-grade cybersecurity. With Booz Allen, integration means putting you in control of innovation. Integrate, innovate, get it done with Booz Allen. Learn more at boozallen.com slash relay. That's boozallen.com slash relay. Our thanks to Booz Allen for their support of this show. It's time for hashtag Ask Upgrade Jason Snell as we round out this big bumper episode. Ian asks, Mike, you previously mentioned that you like white text on a dark background. Does this preference carry over at all to pen and paper? Not at all, because... <laughs> white ink on black paper, Mike. You could do it. How it much black could it be? Thing, uh, but I am not interested in, in doing that. I like colored inks. Like I like lots of color in my ink. Oranges yeah. and greens and purples and reds also, and that's, blues. That's not how it, that's not how it works. Like uh-huh. it's, it, it's like they don't, they don't make a, a flash dark that shines dark where you point it like it only works the one way you can you cast light you don't cast dark out and you get you don't put Mm. light ink on no that's not how it works aloha hello Uh, that is a joke from the flop house i just wanted to just for the sake of the the flop house episode let's do it about the the rise of skywalker the rise of the skywalker is so good it's yeah, it is. Fanta- it's an absolute classic. I have not listened to the Flophouse for a while. Like, it just fell off my radar for a bit. I'm so back in now because I remembered exactly why I love this show, and that was love it. It is absolutely fantastic. Yep. If you Look. liked the movie, you might not be a big fan of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dylan asks, do you have location services turned on for camera and photos? Do you? Yeah. Yeah, that's how you search your photos exactly. for where they were taken. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I do. And as well, like, I mean, I understand some people may not have in case, like, when sharing images, it would have location data built into yeah, it. But these days, these days, almost everything has a don't share location data yep. feature that I think is turned on by yes. default. 
And yeah. also they added an iOS feature that I really like where when you go into the share sheet, there's a little uh, text button that says options where like if you're sending an image to somebody, you could choose to remove it for that image, which like that wasn't the case before. Like if, if you text me or airdropped a photo to me, it would have all the data in it. Um, you can now turn it off. And you can also, like with live photos, you can also turn off the live photo data in that screen. I really like that. I think that was a nice little addition that Apple made uh, with iOS 13. Um, but yeah, like you, right? Like sometimes I can only find an image because of the location. No, the user benefit to have the, you know, find it on a map or search for a particular place and have it turn up is far too great. And, you know, I... I don't think there's an issue here. I, I would have an issue sharing a picture with location data of like my house mm-hmm. or my kids' preschool or something like that. But that that is not, yeah, mo- for mo- for, it, it doesn't really happen. Like I, I feel like we've come far enough that I'm not paranoid about this. As concerned as I am about privacy, this is not where I'm concerned. Right, but yeah, but like in the same vein, like, it's just a kind of a thing of I don't take I don't share pictures of my house. Yeah, well that's true too. You know, but like, but yeah, I don't know. You just shared that picture of your uh, your iPad with the keyboard and all of that. I know, but when I share images like that online, Jason, I, I meticulously look through every OPSEC, part of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, it doesn't Gary. have like your neighbor's street signs and mm-hmm. things like that. No, mm-hmm. I also as well like. <laughs> I check like what are the names of my widgets. What are the <laughs> I just look oh yeah sure because it's you know you, you're gonna get you're gonna get questions uh, like this one from Johan. What is the first app on your home screen? Jeez, top left. I, what I, is it? I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. Um, you don't know. Well, you don't have your phone there. You, you, you got your phone there. You can open it. What messages. It? Messages. Top left. Top left. I have the Relay FM app there. Um, I never listen to our shows live because I'm usually the on one them. doing the live thing, but yep. I just really like having my company logo on my on my screen. And I find the top left, especially if you're a Pro Max user like me, it's the hardest app icon to get to. Yeah, so it's very far away. It's kind of like the dead app. Didn't messages always used to be top left? Is that why yours is there? Like that's how the original iPhone shipped? I feel like it might. Yeah, have. that might be. That might be. I don't know. I have messages in phone. They're they're cuddling up there. I the love green. That you have the phone. The green boys. They're they're cuddling up there. <laughs> Big cuddly green boys. Benjamin asks, "We're coming up on five years since the launch of Live Photos. Has Live Photos and the introduction of that changed the way that you take photos on your iPhone?" Mm, it's changed photography for me in the sense that um, I turn it on and then I'm sharing a photo and it gives me the little icon that says, do you want to share the live photo? And I go, ugh, no, I don't. And I have to turn it off Hmm. because mostly I don't. There are moments where I've captured video and I'm very happy that I've gotten it. Um, Mostly not. I would say the thing that would really push live photos over the edge for me is I'd like it to take a little bit more video than it does. And I'd like it to grab more photo quality stills than it does yes so yes. that i could also scrub through and say like the key that's photo actually the still i want yeah. is awesome but they're frequently too low quality mm-hmm. it should be capturing more photos which you can dump get rid of the photos after a period of time if you want to sure uh, i would like that too that's a good one i'm gonna say and i and i said i think i've said this before i stand by it live photos is one of my favorite additions to ios that's ever been added uh 
I love live photos because it makes scrolling my photos more engaging. I love it when you're scrolling through and there's a little bit of movement to it. It's like I'm in Harry Potter or something. Uh, it helps to add content to the videos that iOS generates for you, right? You know those little videos that photos just sometimes gives you? There can be sometimes like movies in those because it's pulling them from live photos. Uh, there are times where I take photos specifically because they will be good live photos. Uh, and then I also like to use the like the bounce and loop effects that you can change in the Photos app to create some fun animations. I really love live photos. Like there are some photos that I have that are some of my favorites because they're great live photos. Uh, so including that one of me and you where the flash happens, right? Like we well, that, that we is yeah, capturing that a moment. moment like that is amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so like I have a few like that that are just really great. And then I like I liked pairing these two questions together. Stuart asks, how many slow fees did you take this year? I completely forgot about this until Apple made an ad recently. Yeah, they're trying to make slow fees happen again. Yeah, I genuinely feel like I wished I'd used this more because it could be fun, but like I never think to use it. I forget that, like, I, I completely forgot that the selfie camera could take slow motion video. So, because I find slow motion video is usually really low quality, like, I understand why, but it makes me like it makes me hesitant to ever use slow motion unless I'm in like really good conditions, and then I usually don't remember to do it anyway. And finally, today Tony asks, "I have yet to see even one sign in with Apple button out in the wild." Jason, have you seen any? I haven't seen a single one. I have seen one in one app called Tripsy, and I use it for Tripsy. Now I looked into this because. My expectation from WWDC is like not only were they going to be here, Apple was going to like enforce it with an iron fist, right? Mm-hmm. So some of the rules changed during development, yeah. um, and it's starting off much more slowly. This was an example of Apple listening to feedback, clarifying the apps that had to use it, and adding some exceptions and being a bit more gentle about it. So there are a bunch of application types which are defined in the the guidelines now to like, you don't need to do this. Like if your app is an app for a service, right? Like if you're making a Twitter app, you don't need to have sign in with Apple. It doesn't make any sense because like you need Twitter. Or like if you're a corporate app and stuff like that. So they made some changes there, which I think was really great. They also extended the deadline date for existing apps to update. So if you submit it a new, if you create a new app that has these sign-in buttons, you do have to add this now. But if you are an existing application that has sign-in with Google, sign-in with Facebook, April 2020 is now the deadline date. So they moved it, which I think is great. They gave people more time. They made some clarification stuff. So it is still happening, but it's taking a bit longer than as originally suggested. Yeah, this is funny. This is a thing that Apple has done in a few places because um, they also announced that they were going to require notarization of Mac apps outside of the Mac app store, which notarization is basically uh, you're a third-party developer who's got a Mac app that you're not selling in the Mac app store and to notarize it, which you, you upload it to Apple servers and they have an automated like scan and check and then they cryptographically sign it and they send it back to you. And that is like a so you have a you have an Apple developer account and you've had it signed by Apple and this is their way of putting a level of security on stuff that's outside the App Store and it's not a formal approval process but it's it's this sort of robot approval process 
Um, and they said that uh, you would basically get rejected. Your app would be rejected by the launch demon in uh, Catalina if it wasn't notarized by a certain date. And they pushed that date back. Uh, I think maybe a couple of times. I think it, I think it's, it's coming January up. It's now. It's now. I think it's co- I think it's coming up now. But um, they pushed that back because they got they got feedback that uh, it was too fast and that the developers needed more time and et cetera, et cetera. So they've shown some flexibility about this. And by the way. If you hold down control on and click on the app and choose open from the pop up and you know it will it will let you open it anyway. If you change your security settings, this is all a by default. So it's not it's not completely locked down, but it's way more locked down than it used to be by default. That uh, if if a, a random app on the internet is not by a registered Apple developer and has not passed through Apple servers to be approved, um, by default it won't open. Like it won't open anymore. You can get it to open by changing your settings, but it, it's not going to open by default. That's a big thing. But they did push that back as well. So um, I think that's a good sign. Like we can debate whether these things are good or bad, but definitely I think it's a good sign that Apple has heard feedback. They make these big announcements and then people are, try to implement them or think about implementing them and say, this doesn't actually make sense. And that Apple's like, you're right. We're going to adjust this. We're going to delay it a little bit. Um, so some of that is going on inside Apple. They're not just a, a cold, unfeeling black box that makes deadlines that you have to follow, uh, all the time. Just some, just some of the time. If you'd like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag ask upgrade. Uh, please send those in because we've not been doing that for a couple of weeks. Uh, we don't have so many. So send out a tweet with the hashtag ask upgrade. If you have a question you would like us to answer. So my backlog is getting smaller on those. Uh, thanks so much to our sponsors this week. That's DoorDash, Booz Allen, KiwiCo, and Squarespace. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com, and he is at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L, on social media platforms. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can find show notes for this show, including lots of links and information in your podcast app of choice or at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 279. And we'll be back next time. Until then... Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Let's do this again in a week this time. All right, okay. There might be something a little bit different next week, but like we'll work through that, but we'll be back. Yeah.